Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, everyone. This is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys. And on this week's podcast, we're talking about your one and two Detroit Pistons. I, I personally miss the Philly game. So I call in DBB's own Ku Khalil to help Ben and I break down the Pistons' first week of the season. We talk about the starting lineup's woes on offense, Derrick Rose's overuse, and Ben and Ku both express frustration with Dwayne Casey's lack of offensive creativity. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Doing good. Happy fall, everybody. Just got back from the old pumpkin patch. Totally unrelated to basketball, but it's that time of year. So so doing good. One and two, kind of where I expected to be for the Pistons. So uh, still optimistic, still feeling good. How are you, Laz? I'm doing good. Uh, this is the load management podcast for me. I was in D.C. this weekend, so in order to help me uh, be my best, I called in some reinforcements from uh, from Detroit Bad Boys, formerly of Pistons Powered, currently at WJR Radio in Michigan. We have Koo Khalil. What's up, Koo? What's going on, everybody? How you doing? We're doing good, man. We're doing good. And so what happened Saturday? Because I missed the game. So I'm looking at the box score. It looks like a close game, but from the way people were talking about it, it didn't sound like it was a close game. So, cool. What happened on Saturday? Uh, it definitely was a close game. The Pistons had, a, I believe, a 13-point lead in the third quarter. Um, so, it definitely was a close game throughout the entire game. The final box score kind of made it look a little bit farther than it really was. But, basically, the Pistons really shot themselves in the foot the majority of the night. They missed a lot of free throws. They had the free throw advantage by a lot. They just weren't making their free throws. Um, Derrick Rose turned the ball over a lot, a couple key turnovers late that really gave the, <clears throat> the team, the, the other team, the win. Um, and Andre Drummond just, he struggled a little bit that night. He struggled with foul trouble and that took him out the game early and he never really got back into it after that. So, but even with Andre in trouble and foul trouble, we had a 13 point lead. It was just really, I think. Uh, came down to free throws and turnovers late that really sunk the Pistons. 
Uh, okay, I got you, Koo. Huh, Ben, I see I'm looking at the box score. Christian Wood, your our boy, our all <laughs> collective boy, Christian Wood, played 19 minutes, went off with 11 points. Uh, did he play at the same time as Thon? Are they either stagger rotation or what happened? Uh, yeah, he played mostly at center because uh, of the foul trouble. Um, I thought he looked pretty good offensively at least I think where he struggles like his box score looks great right like four for six from the field one for three got the stretch five happening uh five boards and 11 points um you know 19 minutes that's a solid stat line I think where what I'm seeing from him that is going to be his main limiting factor this year is he's really not great uh at team defense and we knew this coming into the season but I think we're seeing really clear examples of it uh, he particularly struggles when it's the first or second rotation. And, and to me right now, uh, Koo mentioned turnovers. The other really big problem the Pistons are having right now is containing um, perimeter penetration. It's particularly been an issue for the Pistons for several years now at the point guard position. Uh, but it's really kind of been happening everywhere all around the perimeter. And when that's happening, this is not Andre's strength right after. He, he can help maybe when it's the very first help, but it's that second rotation that needs to happen where both Dre and Christian Wood, I think sort of getting lost and the Pistons perimeter defense just isn't good enough. Um, and those guys aren't good enough at the, sort of that first and second rotation to really bail people out. So, yeah, I mean, he looked good offensively, defensively. I, I, I just think his head's on a swivel and he doesn't really know, know what to do when, you know, when he's doing anything other than covering his guy or defending the pick and roll, he just, he just sort of gets lost. If, if I could add something real quick onto that. Go for it. There is one play, one play on defense that 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 stood out to me like even more. Like it's kind of was the story of what he's talking about with Christian Wood. Um, so I was at the game, obviously, and uh, they. I'm assuming Dwayne Casey was trying to go into a zone, a zone defense, and like Christian Wood was completely lost. Um, one possession, they tried to do it for two possessions, I believe. The first possession, he was completely lost at, like, the top of the key thing, and they were playing man, and Langston Galloway had to pull him down to, like, legit – he legit grabbed him and had to pull him down to his zone. And then the next possession, they tried doing it again, and he – I don't know if he was in, like, the wrong spot again, but then him and Luke uh, – not him, uh, Langston and Luke both pointed to him and Derrick Rose because uh, they were both confused about the zone. So, really, Christian Wood, I mean, along with that that right there – he really struggles with close, I think. Uh, Dwayne Casey talked about it after the game. Uh, in one of the games in preseason, he talked about it again after Saturday's game. There were a couple threes that he let up late in the game. That he is, I, is He's just late on the closeouts, and he doesn't really close out very hard. So I agree with Ben. His The stat line looks good, and I think even with that, you have to play him over Thon. But there, I, I'm starting to see – because, you know, everyone was freaking out because of Dwayne, on Dwayne Casey for – not playing him and playing Thon. And while I still think that playing Thon over him is probably not the best uh, decision, I'm starting to see more and more why he was hesitant because his team defense, as Ben said, really is a, is a struggle for him. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely something that we saw in the preseason, uh, even at like the, the lower levels when he's playing against like Dallas and guys like that when, uh, he's he's just a very uh, inattentive defender, and like you can see why that would frustrate a coach. But I'm curious, like how he and Maker looked on the floor together. That's something that I've been interested in, just because like Maker has a lot of energy defensively, and he appears to be 
in a in the scheme more frequently. So that's why the coaching staff is currently like playing him over Wood. But I'm wondering if like if Maker holds it down defensively and Wood holds it down offensively, like it, it, do you think uh Koo, do you think that pairing can can work for for the Pistons? Um I'm hesitant to really like speak glowingly of any pairing that involves Thon. But <laughs> um, but I, I like I said, I said it on Twitter on Saturday, I have to give him credit because Thon did play really uh, probably his best game in like a while for the Pistons. Probably dating back, I'd probably have to go find a game early in the, the after the trade. But that was probably his best game in a minute. And they did, like you said, they did truck out him and Wood. And they actually, I think they did okay. And I think that had a lot to do with the fact that, like I said, Thon was having his best game. Like, he was active. He had a couple – one of the things that he was – the one thing I would say about Thon is that on offense, he took a couple – he tried driving to the rim and turned it over and then took, like, a dribble pull-up, which I don't understand why he even tried that. But the the pairing between those two, I think, worked pretty well. And like you said, I think that it could work, maybe, it, because – they're both energy guys, especially Thon. Thon has like 99 stamina. He like never stops. <laughs> so like I think that could that speaks uh that could help in that pairing, but I think it really relies on the fact that Thon will just have to be like not a negative for it to be. Yeah. yeah. So Thon Thon to me was kind of the flip side of the Christian Wood coin. Like Wood's box score looks great, but his yeah. I was going to mention that bad, like Thon, but, Thon's box score oh, looks box terrible. Score is a disaster. But I think Ku is right. Like Thon had it together defensively like he he did much better in terms of defensive rotations he had a really key block in the second half um and overall looked pretty good but then you know like three points two rebounds in 23 minutes I mean come on that's pathetic and then I think three turnovers well if I remember correctly but the way that he looked on the floor like he just looked so much better if you were watching defensively in particular yeah, that's so crazy to me because yeah, and like Thon is minus five and Woods minus one, yeah. and so like it's it's insane to me that like this is why I need you. I mean, this is why I needed your eyes because it's like how how did Thon have one of his best games of the year if he went one for three with three turnovers? But hey, like I'm gonna I'm gonna buy it from you. Uh, I guess the the next thing I really wanted to bring up was uh was Reggie Jackson. Reggie didn't play, so how did Tim Frazier look in the starting lineup? His box score doesn't look great, but I'm I'm wondering how uh. How he looked, uh, Ben. So it's hard to overstate. And Koo, this might have been your piece that was on the blog about the the starting lineup. Yeah. Do I have that right? Yeah. Is that what you wrote about this morning? Yeah. So the, the, it's hard to understate just how terrible the starters were. They were down thirteen to two. And maybe I'll just defer to Koo because he wrote the piece on it. Um, Frazier was just—he looked so antsy and hesitant and lost in the first quarter. And to my eye, he got better over time. He played better in the second half, in my opinion, in the first half. But, you know, 21 minutes, four fouls, and four turnovers. Like, that that's pretty bad for a point guard. And he, he didn't shoot the ball particularly well either. But he did a decent job running the offense, had a handful of assists. Um, he's better than Jose Calderon. Uh, so, so that's a good thing. And from there, I'm, I'm not going to talk about Frazier anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Ku go off on this, I think. Okay, so I'll just say this. I don't really want to judge Tim Frazier off of this because I I don't know how many people you could drop in that. And this is what I was kind of saying about Andre yesterday. If you guys saw me ranting on Twitter yesterday, I'm not sure how many people you could drop into that starting lineup and expect them to do anything like Tim Frazier. You had a lineup 
for anybody who didn't watch the game and didn't know, the starting lineup was Tim Frazier, Bruce Brown, Tony Snell, Markeith Morris, and Andre Drummond. That I don't know what you could really expect from him to do. Like, there's nobody out there that's going to create an offense, create the offense. I mean, Dre kind of, but then you have people who don't really want him to do that. So I agree. He looked antsy to start out the gate. I don't think he played very well at all. I think he, he took a couple long twos, which as much as I defend Derrick Rose with his little midi pull-ups, I think that I don't think Tim Frazier should be taking those. He turned the ball over a lot. Uh, at least I haven't looked at the box score, actually, so he may not have turned it over as much as I he did. Yeah, he did. He had four turnovers in 21 minutes. Yeah. That's pretty okay. Bad. So yeah, he turned it over a lot. I just, I, I, he didn't play well, but I'm holding off judgment on him until I see him like actually given a fair chance because that, that right there was not a fair chance at all against the Philadelphia 76ers too. So like it wasn't, it not only was the lineup bad, it was against the 76ers. So, okay. So what, I guess my, the next logical question is then like if Reggie's going to be hurt, and Blake is going to be hurt. What what should the starting lineup be? And like I, I saw that you wrote a piece, Koo, but I haven't had a chance to read it. I'm definitely going to do that. But did you like come up with a logical conclu- conclusion for the starting lineup or a, a prescription or what, what's up? Yes, yes, I did. And I told you before the before the pod that I had a little rant that I wanted to go on real quick. This 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 right here is is the rant, and I'm not trying to go for long. Cause I don't know how long you guys like to go on the pod, so I'll try to keep it. I'll try to. Uh, be short and sweet with it. Dwayne Casey, I, I'm try I had to stay I had to stay polite with it because I see them more often now. So in case he ever hears anything I say or reads anything I say, I don't want to be uh, disrespectful. But I, in my opinion, the Pistons are bordering on having a Dwayne Casey problem, like a like a legit problem with Dwayne Casey. First of all, uh, the the situation, the starting lineup that I came up with this morning, I think that if you're gonna start Bruce Brown. Which after the game on Saturday, Dwayne Casey told everyone in the press room that what, someone asked him about Luke Kennard possibly starting, and he said, uh, "Well, you have to think about the defensive side too." And I don't know, I don't know if it was you, Laz, or Duncan. One of you guys tweeted the offensive rating of that starting lineup was like sixty-five point two. So, like, I joked around and was like, "I was going to ask him, okay, so when does offense start to matter, and when when does that matter?" Because if you're going to start Bruce Brown for the defensive reasons. Then in my in my opinion, I'd shift him down to point guard while Reggie is out. And then if you wanna and then obviously it seems like that he wants to keep Derrick Rose and Luke Kennard together in the bat and off the bench, which like I pointed out in my piece earlier, I understand why, because the Pistons were ranked twentieth last year and bench scoring at like I think thirty five point seven points a game. So like having that completely flip in one off season, I understand why he'd want to keep them together. So if you want to keep them together, then move Bruce down to the point guard position and put either Sfee or Langston at shooting guard. So then it, you at least have shooting. Because that lineup that you had the other night, not only could nobody create, you didn't have shooting either. So, like, you were just setting yourself up to fail. So if you if Dwayne Casey is just so hell-bent on having defense in the starting lineup and he's so hell-bent on keeping Luke and Derek together off the bench, then if you put Langston into the starting lineup you move, and you move Bruce down to point guard, you keep you keep Luke and Derek together, and you get shooting into the starting lineup, and you can keep your whatever with defense. But the last thing I want to say before Ben gets into it, uh, the Dwayne Casey problem. Not only are, is the starting lineup – like I don't understand how anybody could go into a, a game and think that starting lineup is okay 
or like you can look at that on a on a, like a lineup sheet and say, yeah, that's the lineup we're going to truck out there. I just don't see how you do that. And then also his in-game adjustments are becoming like I complained about it a lot last year, but they're becoming like really bad this year to the point where, like, they, for example, for example, and, I'll, and then I'll I'll give it up to Ben in the second half of yesterday's game, and then also the second uh, uh, second half of yesterday's game and the game before that. There's no reason why you should just be going completely away from doing any kind of action in the half court that involves Andre. And there's no reason why your offense should just end up going to just basic pick and roll at the top of the key and no one moving around and, and then just giving Luke the ball and saying, here you go, do a pick and roll. Like there was no action to try free Luke up because like he and Dwayne Casey talked about this in the post game that teams are running him off the three-point line now because he had that big game. But then you're not helping him out at all by like trying to get some off-ball sets going. You're just giving him the ball in the pick and roll and say, here you go. So like – I think we're, ha- we're we're bordering on having a Dwayne Casey problem, and that was in my rant. Ben, what, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, if the Pistons have a Dwayne Casey problem? Oh, yeah. Laz, you know that I, I have been hot and cold on Dwayne Casey, right? And, and listeners of the podcast know that. I was very critical early in the season a year ago. Um, I became persuaded sort of after the Andre Drummond concussion situation and the team got healthy that he could potentially implement an offense that wasn't just give the ball to Blake and hope for the best. Right. So he, he convinced me over the last 30 or so games that, that I was a little too overly critical. Obviously we're only three games in, we're missing Reggie Jackson. We're missing Blake Griffin. So those qualifiers aside, I do agree that the starting lineup from last game was an absolute mess. It doesn't make any sense at all. I realize that Luke Kennard and Derrick Rose have played like one of the best backcourts backcourts in basketball through the first three games. Um, But that starting lineup is, as Ku said, you're setting yourself up to fail. It's hard to imagine a scenario where you don't get to the second unit down by seven to nine points. I mean, there's just no, no offensive productivity. I echo the comments about forgetting about Andre Drummond as well. Uh, That massive monster game one where he did what I think probably only three to five human beings on the planet are capable of doing in a game. Um, They really sort of forgot about him from the second half of the Atlanta game, uh, kind of through this entire Philadelphia game, not just getting him shots, but sort of using him as a hub. Um, really the only thing he was able to do offensively against the 76ers was put the ball on the floor and get to the basket a few times. Otherwise he was mostly out of the offense for the most part and absolutely correct, especially in the second half. And then especially in the fourth quarter where the game just completely got away from Detroit. It was basically just Derek Rose and and Luke Kennard isos and pick and rolls. And that's just not going to get it done as good as those guys have been. You, you need a more complex offensive system. And Ku's right, and Casey is right about this as well. Uh, teams are on to Luke Kennard now. Like, he's not a sleeper anymore. Um, he's come out and played like he's been capable of since, he's, you know, since he was a rookie, and he's finally coming into his own. Teams are running him off the three-point line. He's done a good job of adjusting. But, but he's not the kind of player where you want to run 50% of your offense through him in the pick and roll and 50% through Derrick Rose. You've got to have some more complexity. Um, so absolutely, there needs to be some adjustments made, one, to that starting lineup, and two, um, to offensive schemes, because it, it looks like we're going to be riding without Blake and Reggie for a few more games here. Uh, and we look, we don't want to be one and four or one and five, right? By the time those, two, those guys get back, the margin for error is just too slim this season. So it's definitely time. 
uh, for Coach Casey to earn his money uh, and be a little more creative uh, on those two. The, the critique of Casey, of Casey as a uh, as an in game tactician has always been present, like throughout his coaching career. I'm a little, I'm not, I'm, I guess I'm not surprised to see that resurface, but uh, but they they ran efficient offense down the stretch of the Indiana game, and they ran they ran sets to True. get Luke open. So like we we know it's possible. So it's it's uh it's weird to me that Casey has uh I guess kind of forgotten about it already this early in the season. But uh but Koo and Ben, you both bring up excellent points in that like this is this is what we saw early on last year with Blake. And so maybe we, we shouldn't yeah. be yeah. quote unquote surprised, but uh you would you would think that with a full off season to adjust, with the full off season to kind of plan out here how the year is gonna go. And, you know, the year hasn't exactly gone to plan, to be fair. And we talk when, you know, we throw all the caveats in there. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's weird that, you know, they were running floppy sets and stuff in preseason. Like they were running Tony Stell off, off double screens to get shots like in preseason. There's no, there's no reason why you can't do that stuff throughout the entirety of the game, especially if, uh, especially if the office is, is struggling. I mean, I kind of understand like wanting to, to utilize Derrick Rose as much as, possible when he plays on the court because it they seem very strict uh, understandably so about only playing rows like 25 27 28 minutes a night which is which again is completely understandable and i guess you want to you want to maximize uh the production you get out of him in those minutes but uh you you can't do that at the at the cost of being so predictable that you uh you demean the other four players on the court you know that that doesn't make any sense. Okay. Well, Ben kind of mentioned it with the margin of error. And that's the kind of thing this is this is why it's so frustrating for me. And once again, I don't know if this was Laz that tweeted it. It might have been. I'd be forgetting it, no, that. No, I, I didn't that. tweet anything on Saturday. So it was this was Duncan. Okay. Okay. So th- this is the thing that makes it like so frustrating for me personally. Is the fact that like Laz said, we've seen him do it and we've seen like literally like, we don't have to go too far. Literally, just the first game of the season. Like, we saw it. And, like, I understand that Blake and Reggie are out. But that that's when it should actually – that's when it matters the most for you to do it. Because if you can do it when they're, when they're in the game, when they're out, you can't just panic and just lose your cool and just say, here you go, do this. We're going to forget everything we did. Because then you're just giving yourself no shot. So that's the thing that makes it most frustrating for me. Because you've seen them do it. And on, if you're going to be a playoff team for the Pistons, I think that almost everybody would agree uh, that the Pistons are not going to be like a top four team. They're not going to be like a top one of those top teams unless like Blake comes back and like MVP level and Derek continues to play like this. Like some stuff would have to like be crazy to happen for that to happen. So I think we can all agree that they're not that. So the difference between like a bottom tier team in the, in the playoffs and a lottery team are these margins. And for the, for Dwayne Casey to, like Ben said, he showed it last year that he was he was just give the ball to Blake and do what you can. And now that we're already this early in the season without Blake and Reggie, and he's doing it along with highly questionable starting lineups, it's just it, that's what frustrates me the most. And I'm thinking that if we're going to be without Blake and Reggie for foreseeable future with a couple a couple more games, I'm worried that this season could get away from the Pistons early on. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. So, Ben, what what should reasonable expectations for this team be without Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin? Like I, I I've said before this season, like you need you obviously need both of those guys healthy to make the playoffs. We talked about how you could sustain an injury to one guy and still probably be okay, but both that's you know two of the four best shot creators on your team and how we talked about how that would have a dramatic impact on the offense. It sounds like that has happened. And so I, what is Ben? what's the, what's a reasonable expectation for this team without uh, Blake and Reggie? Well, without a dramatic change to scheme, I think this, this team is really going to struggle over the next four to five games. Um, essentially you're banking on Derrick Rose mid-range jumpers. And let's just call out Derrick Rose right now. He's shooting almost 65% from the floor. That is not going to continue. So at some point, those numbers are going to fall off and the, the, the problems on offense compound when those shots stops, shots stop going in. Right. So that that's going to happen. I, I do think, however, that this team can hold its own if they get back to doing some of the things we saw them do in game one. Um, you, you have to find a way to keep Andre Drummond engaged in the offense um, dribble handoffs as a hub. And then I think the thing that he has really done surprisingly well through three games is put the ball on the floor. Like, I think that's a legitimate weapon. You get him the ball on the elbow or on the baseline, he's able to put the ball on the floor. So you got to get Andre involved. You have to find a way to get back to some of that off the ball action that both of you guys have talked about. Um, Tony Snell just kind of drifts and wanders right now, the way things are going. I think you need some structured uh, down screens and cross screens to get him going. And then I really think, like, as good as Derrick Rose has been, um, one of the unintended byproducts that sort of falls under the radar with all of this one-on-one isolation stuff is really high turnovers. So Derrick Rose turnovers are through the roof. Kennard's turnovers are a little bit too high. And even some of our secondary guys are turning the ball over a little too much. I think all of it has to do with the fact that they're just standing and not moving and ball watching when they don't have the ball. So if they came back to some of this motion offense, I can see that without Blake and without Reggie, you're still maybe a 400 team and maybe a little bit better if Derek and Luke keep playing as well as they're playing, but they're on a path right now to be like literally one in five or one in six by the time we get both of those guys back. So um, I would really like to see some adjustments. Um, and if they do, I think maybe they can be two games under 500 when, when Blake gets back and that's manageable. But much more than that, you know, this team just doesn't have, I don't think, enough firepower to dig themselves out of a big hole. Because, Laz, as you've talked about, the second half of the schedule is going to get really tough. Uh, so they really need to be above 500 by the time we get to the All-Star break. Uh, and right now, they've got to make some changes in order to make that happen. Cool. What, what, what would your expectations be without Reggie and Blake? Um, I mean, th- here's a positive they did go against the 76ers without both of them and they had a 13 point lead. So there's a positive. I mean, Correct. I mean, they played, Correct. they played well enough to win that game. They shot themselves in the foot. So against a really good 76ers team, I know they were without Embiid. 
I mean, but I mean, everyone's hyping them up with, I mean, they still have Horford, Simmons, Harris, Richardson. Like that's still a monstrous team over there that the Pistons hung with and probably feel like they should have won. Uh, Langston told me after the game that he felt like that they had them on the ropes and they felt like they were about to give up. And then they just started shooting themselves in the foot. So, I mean, if you want to take a positive from it, it's the fact that they've played decently, decently without them. Um, I think that how well they can play without them depends really like what Ben said on, on Dwayne Casey. And it really, I, it's hard for me to make like a, an actual prediction on it because he's so hot and cold with what he does. Like one day he'll do what we saw in the first game and then the next two games or like even like against Atlanta, like in the first half, everything looked like it was like we were, the defense was awful, but offensively we looked fine. And then all of a sudden in the second half, it just stopped. So like, it's, it's really hard to predict what this team can be. I think their peak, their ceiling, if Dwayne Casey incorporates the scheme, I think they can. Like, I think their ceiling would be exactly what Ben said. Probably like two games under five hundred by the time they get back. But that's that's heavily, like, extremely reliant on Dwayne Casey doing something that re- that resembles a coach. Yeah, let me let me just call out the to me the difference in the game against Philadelphia was turnovers and free throws. This number is staggering. The Pistons turned the ball over 23 times. 23 times, right? Your your key point guards, Frazier and Rose, 10 turnovers between them. Astonishingly bad numbers. Free throws, 21 for 36. Turnovers and free throws ultimately decided that game. Now, Free throws, you can't blame Dwayne Casey for that. Drummond just sort of forgot how to shoot and went three for ten. All around terrible game. That rests squarely on Dre and nowhere else. But but those uh, those turnovers, um, as I mentioned, some of this is a direct byproduct of the scheme. When you just have guys going one against five over and over and over again, it's a recipe for turnovers. Unless you, the guy you're going one against five with is LeBron James. So um, cut down those turnovers to something also terrible, like 18, which is also a really bad number. And the Pistons still could have won, right? So in spite of all of the negativity and all of the criticism we just levied, that game was still winnable and still within reach because there's still a core group of guys here who are talented and can play basketball. We just got to get our hands around some of this stuff that's within our control. And really, it's a two-in-one team. I mean, the, the Atlanta game, I'm not sure they could have won the way Trey Young played, but the Philadelphia game was definitely winnable if, if we can just eliminate some of those silly mistakes. Yeah, this is the thing that's like striking to me, especially as someone who didn't watch the Philly game. And I saw that Embiid wasn't going to play. Um, and, you know, that affects your your perception of what the game is going to be a little bit, but not not that much since, like who said, Philly's a really good team even without Embiid. But, like, if before the season started, you said, like, hey, like, Laz, okay, Reggie Jackson is going to get hurt in the first game and look really bad and uh, Blake isn't going to play any of the first three games, like what is the Pistons' record going to be? I would have told you I would yeah. have told you one and two, but it's just not It's just not the one and two I would have expected, right? We, right, <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah. and so it's, it's uh, especially since I haven't seen the game, it's difficult, it's difficult for me to like wrap my head around like how uh, you guys are so disappointed about this loss. And I'm like, well, the, the we thing lost is, to like, Philly. Like Philly's it, really good. If you could cut off the bookends of this game, the Pistons were the better team. Like if you could cut off the first seven minutes or so 
whatever it was that they were down 13 to two. I don't remember exactly what marker that was. And then if you could cut off like the last six minutes of the fourth quarter where they just continually turned the ball over and gave up, gave up one wide open three after another, the Pistons win by like seven points. So I think part that's why it's so hard is because it, it really could have gone another way. And it seems like it was very much within their control, right? Like this was not a game where the refs blew a call or, you know, the, the shots didn't just go in. It was a really crazy starting lineup that had no business playing together and then just turnovers and blown defensive assignments down the stretch that, that really cost the team. The yeah. Game. And like to, to backpack what he was saying um, with the, just going ISO all the time. I mean, everyone knows I absolutely, I'm a huge Derrick Rose fan. I love Derrick Rose. But like, so like like last day, if you told him before the season, he would have thought they were one and two. If you told me before the season, Derrick Rose was doing this, me being even the Rose fan I am, I still would have told you, come on, let's chill out. And he's like, he's playing absurd. He's playing at an absurd level. Like I, I'm extremely happy to be watching this. But let me just throw this out here: he has a thirty six point six usage rate. That is by far a career high. Like I've watched close yeah. to every Derrick Rose game over the past five years. He's. I've never seen him this rely a team be this reliant on him on offense. Like it's like even from a biggest Derrick Rose fan as I can be. I, I mean, maybe maybe he can sustain this kind of level of play, and maybe like Ben said, and like Ben's been pointing out, if we would just make our free throws or we cut down some of the turnovers, we win that game with Derrick Rose playing the way he's playing, with Dwayne Casey calling it the way he calls it. Maybe we do that. But you're bank, you're really taking a high risk that one, he can continue to play like this. I mean, he's shooting seventy three percent from ten to sixteen feet. So like, That's yes, crazy. he's playing at like an absurd level. If you want to bank on him playing that way, I mean, go ahead. And if he does, I'll be the happiest one to say he say he's, he is. <laughs> but I'm I'm very I'm at some point. Also, I'm worried that he might get hurt. Like you're saying that in twenty eight yeah. minutes. You want to use the most of him, but like he's doing he, the workload that he's carrying right now in 28 minutes is like matching a player that plays 35 minutes a game. So I don't really know how much it's really helping him. No, that that's totally fair. And this, yeah, Derrick Rose is me. going for six man of the year and MVP all at the same time in under 30 minutes a game right now. It's pretty impressive stuff. Yeah. But his numbers actually kind of remind me of uh, Tobias Harris a couple of years back when Tobias shot like 50% from three for the first month yeah. of the season. Yeah. And how when that regressed, the the offense – and the that regressed and uh, Reggie got hurt simultaneously, I think. And so the offense just like careened into a ditch. It's like it, it would be nice to avoid that level of, uh, of careening uh, this time around if it were at all yeah. possible. The upside is he really is getting to the basket – like – almost at will, which is, is really incredible to see as well. He's just – it's just every mid-range pull-up is also going in at the same time. <laughs> I mean, I I mean, I've watched – like I said, I've watched close to every game of his over the past five years, and I got into an argument with with uh, Sham uh, a couple of days ago before the season started because I was saying that, you know, I, I the most athletic that I've seen Derek wasn't in Minnesota – Last year, it was in New York. It's the most like I've seen him since the injuries. This year, he's getting he's this year he's fighting for that this year to be like the most like I've seen him, and like since like 2014, like he's he's getting to the basket like Ben said at absolute will. Like it doesn't matter who's there. He's just he's twitchy with his ball handling. 
He's just working whoever's in front of him. And he is making a lot of pull-ups, but he really is getting to the rim whenever he wants. So, like, if you want to bake on it, go ahead. But I'm I'm skeptical of that, even as a Derrick Rose fan, that he can continue to do this. All right, guys. Uh, that uh, that kind of – that's great. Thanks for thanks for catching me up. I will uh, watch the Philly game with a more critical eye now. But uh, look into the future. We got the Pacers on Monday, the Raptors on Wednesday, or at the Raptors on Wednesday – at the Bulls on Friday and uh, a home game against Brooklyn on Saturday. That's two back-to-backs in the first eight games of the year. Who did the Pistons piss off in the scheduling office? Whatever. Uh, ben, out of those uh, four games, uh, how many do we feel confident in the Pistons taking? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm not feeling great about it right now. I mean, as fans, we're all so subject to the tyranny of the present, right? Like, if you had asked me this question, Laz, after game one, I would have said we were undefeated, right? Like the, I would throw logic right out the window and say, this game's, this team's going to win every game. They're fantastic. Um, look, I, I think if they can go 500 over the next four, th- that would be a very positive thing. I really haven't done anything other than watch highlights of these, these guys that we're playing at. I don't really know. Well, other than the Pacers, of course. So I don't really know who they are. Um, you know, Brooklyn, obviously, we talked about, or I talked about um, perimeter defense and point guard defense being a problem. That Kyrie Irving guy has been pretty good so far. Uh, So that could end up being a big nightmare for us. I'm going to hope, hope, hope that when we talk a week from now, uh, we're two and two over this week. That's what I'm going to hope for. What are you thinking, Koo? I think that we could, I think we could possibly go three and one, and this is why. we beat. Him. Wait, after all that, you, you talked all that noise, and you're going to say they go three and no, one. No, I, I know. Okay, I'm not predicting that they. I'll, I'll predict that they go two and two, but I think they could go three and one, and this is why. Um, we already beat Indiana at their place. This time they're coming to our place, and in the first game, they're still going to be without Oladipo, and in the first game, Reddy Jackson played pretty bad, anyways. So we won. We beat them at their house with a bad Reddy Jackson. He's not going to be playing, except we're going to be at our house. So I think we could probably win that game. Um, I'm chucking the Raptors' loss to a, that's a loss. I don't, there's nothing you can say to me that makes me think we can beat them. We're gonna lose. Um, I think we can beat the Bulls. The Bulls have struggled this year, um, and the Nets. While Kyrie Irving is has been pretty spectacular, um, the Nets as a team have struggled. Like right now, as of right now, they're struggling against the Memphis Grizzlies, and. Um, even and they lost their first game to the Timberwolves. Even when he scored, uh, Kyrie scored fifty. I think they're still trying to figure out how to play together, and they struggled against the Knicks. So I think they can beat. I think they can beat everyone except the Raptors. But I'm going to assume since to the Pistons, and the Pistons always find a way to do this. They're going to lose one of the games they should win, and I'll say that they're going to go two and two. No, that okay. That's totally fair. I didn't mean to like prod you like that. No, you can. But uh, no, the so. Chicago, I'm actually worried about that Chicago game. Uh, Chicago has lost to the Hornets, but uh, they've been really feisty. Um, Laurie Markkinen scored 35 points in the first game of the year. Um, if and like you know, speaking of guard defense, that Zach Levine guy is also pretty good, and so that that is a that's something that Pistons could really have worry. struggled with him too in the past. Yeah, and uh, the last uh, the last couple of times the Pistons have beaten the Bulls, it's because it's been because they have trouble defending the Blake Dre pick and roll in space. And that's just like not available. So I'm worried about that game. Um, I think they, 
I would like to predict two and two. I think one and three is more likely. They probably uh, take that Indiana game and then lose the rest of the week. And then uh, we're back here hoping for some excellent Blake Griffin news uh, about this time, uh, this time next week. All right, Koo, thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Uh, give people your social, let them know what's up, where we can find you and your work. What's uh, you can find me on Twitter at MBA. Uh You can find, I do a lot of YouTube videos on YouTube at Koo's Ballroom. And yeah, you can find me at Detroit Bad Boys also as a writer. Put a couple articles out over the past couple of days. I'll be doing that, obviously, moving forward. Yeah, thanks. The I got to shout out the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is nice. Like you've been doing a good, some good work thanks, with that. Man. Thank you. And so, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's good stuff. All right, Ben. Uh, when uh, where can people hit you up about uh, the mighty Michigan Wolverines tearing the uh, the snot out of the the Notre Dame Fighting Irish? Rip the Fighting Irish a new one is what I'm talking about. And wow, was that a surprise? I was prepared for the exact opposite mentally. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, hit me up on Twitter at brgolker and take a look at my pinned tweet. This podcast was. I think very much uh, critical of the Pistons and rightly so because we just lost a really tough one. But I'm going to continue to say I think there's a lot of fun to be had watching the Pistons this year. I think there's a better roster um, here than a lot of people think still to this day. Even after that really impressive game one, I still think there's a really good chance that this is a a better than 500 team that can surprise some people. Uh, If I'm wrong, tell me why, and and I will fight you with it on Twitter, uh, at BRGolker. That was... It's on case. That was, that was something that Duncan said uh, during the Atlanta game. It's like this team has the potential to be like fun. Maybe not necessarily yeah. like win a bunch of games and be good, quote unquote, but but really fun, especially if uh, Rose continues playing the way he's been playing. Uh, and obviously, you can find me on Twitter at Lads Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Uh, I promise I won't be going to DC every weekend, and so I'll be actually watching the games, and so I'll be better informed next week for you guys. But uh, yeah, we will we will see everybody next week. Thanks for listening.